Hello, and welcome to MetaViews. On today's episode, we're going to talk to my friend Ruben Christian, really about his perspective, both where he's coming from and where he's going. This is a conversation I've been really looking forward to having, but like an idiot, I left my microphone off for the first five minutes. So rather than offer you the introduction that Ruben heard as a way to prime him and get him, get him, get him excited, instead I'm recording this after the fact to tell you Ruben is a fantastic human being. I sort of think of him as an edutainer, he's a speaker, he's an animator, he's a confidence coach, and he's a kind of leader, not just for young people, but for anyone who really wants to live a full life, wants to live a fun life. So I really thought I'd take the opportunity to chat with Ruben, both to learn more about what he does, but also to unpack it for the rest of us, to understand sort of how we might apply and benefit from the work and the wisdom and the knowledge that Ruben's collected. So the first question I asked him, which we're now going to segue into is, how did you get here, Ruben? Where do you come from? What path led you to where we're currently talking right now? If I was really, if I was to really try and distill it, I think it started with this innate desire to avoid boredom and suffering. Honestly, man, like if I, if I go back to uni, like when I was in primary school, like I would just always get told off for just having fun. I just wanted to have fun. Like I, I wasn't interested in doing any work. And I think that whole attitude carried over into university where I was choosing subjects where I felt I would enjoy time. It was literally not about an outcome. It's like, how would I enjoy time? Because ultimately time is my life and my life is ticking away and I don't know when I'm going to die. So let me enjoy it. So I think that has been the main driver. And I've literally been following my curiosities ever since I realized that I didn't want to study precipitation in university and I didn't go back to that course. And I've been following these curiosities, which has taken me into entertainment. It's taken me into presenting, into stand-up comedy, um, into all sorts of different jobs. Um, and when I get bored or I feel I understand the workings of this thing or this world, I tend to jump ship and change. And I think it's been a, a lot of people have questioned that. And have even made me feel bad about that. Um, and I've had this battle with myself in regard to this idea, like these two, these two potential um, competing ideas, right? Am I just someone that can't commit and I keep jumping from thing to thing and I need to commit and focus on something? Or am I innately wired to literally skim intersections and create things at those intersections? Um, and depending on what day you get me, the answer might be different. But for the most part, um, in regard to how I've leveraged my story for my professional capacity, it has been about exploring intersections to see how we can thrive at them. And so where I've landed is, is edutainment, taking everything I've learned from my entertaining self and journey and trying to put that into education and make it accessible and fun. And at the moment, the people that are actually listening to me tend to be younger people. So... Let me zero in on something implicit that I feel that you just said there. And, you know, I, I've sort of framed this as the meta views of Ruben Christian, partly because, <laughs> right. you know, my use of the word meta views is to invoke the big picture, 
right? Mm -hmm. That there is a certain power from being able to see the big picture and understand and view the big picture. And implicit in what you just said was confidence, right? right. That, that there is a certain confidence that, that comes with self-awareness or that leads to self-awareness. And I think to your point, a lot of young people seek that. Right. Yeah. A lot of young people are figuring out who they are. They're wrestling with their identity. They want the confidence to, to pursue their dreams, to pursue their passion. And that's where I, I really felt your first answer was brilliant. The idea that you were fighting against boredom and suffering and the <laughs> yeah. idea that those were intrinsically linked. Because on the one hand, I think most humans struggle with suffering. Mm. But not all humans recognize that boredom is intrinsically part of that. That mm. our brains, our stimulation, our sense of self is really an exercise in creativity. So I would love for you to double down on where does your confidence come from? Yeah. And, and, and professionally, how did you come to the realization that confidence was something that you could help others with as a kind of catalyzing or enabling quality? Ah, oh, that's such a beautiful question, man. Um, there's no way I'd be, be able to answer it perfectly. So it's going to come in, come out in a non-linear fashion, which is typical to me. Um, but I think after this is an interest, this might be an interesting answer actually for you. But I remember after heartbreak, like after pain, change, like you, it's fertile, it's the most fertile ground for change, like pain, right? And I think after one or two heartbreaks, I was like, I don't want to feel this anymore. These feelings are horrible. I want to feel better feelings. And then I just went off trying to look for those better feelings, right? Um, and to want, I don't know if, the, maybe I'll come, maybe the answer will be mixed up in this not mad, like, um, no, I think you're onto it. Keep, keep yeah, yeah, going. Okay, Follow okay. the so, path. So, right, all right. So, so confidence. Confidence is such an interesting one. I remember we were speaking to Stephen Bartlett in this last um, Samsung project that we done, and he framed it beautifully. I, I think it's about evidence. It's about proving to yourself in the most incremental way that you are capable of doing something. And it is literally a granular process so for example right like sometimes people and i can imagine they say it to you as well because i think you're an amazing public speaker they'll be like how did you get so good he's just got it naturally yeah you probably do have some some of that innate talent in you but it's a craft that was honed over time right so if, if we look at um let's say for example public speaking so when people ask me about confidence in public speaking it literally starts with or for me it started with i'm just going to do a thing to camera and i'm going to upload it and I uploaded it. I'm like, oh, I'm still alive. No one's torn me down. I'm going to do another video a little bit longer and I'm going to upload that. Oh, shit. I'm still alive. Okay. I'm going to do a little speech in the Toastmasters club in front of four people that are shit scared. Am I allowed to swear in here? Sorry. Yeah, shit go right scared ahead. Of public Okay. Shit scared of public speaking. Okay. I'm still alive. Let me do it in front of 10 people. And then the more and more evidence we get that we are capable of doing something, the more our confidence grows holistically, like not just in that arena, but holistically, like possibility in my mind opens up. And so as I've attacked these small curiosities and the, I mean, attacked fears and leaned into these small curiosities, I've managed to grow my confidence over time. And now I'm at a point where I'm like, I'm fairly, like, I know if I try something and I fail, 
for the most part, I'll be alive mm-hmm. unless I'm trying to jump off a cliff without a parachute and be the first person to land on my feet. Um, yeah, so I think confidence comes from um, evidence. Yeah, uh, and accomplishment. And, and I think yeah. there's there's a really interesting feedback loop you just described where you attempt something, you get a positive reinforcement, you do it again, mm. and you iterate and you get better. Because when you were describing that, I, I sort of had a flashback to a period maybe 10 years ago where I was in a really deep depression. Mm. And the way I got out of it was was ironically building Ikea furniture. Like there was something about following the instructions yep. Yep. and then having an assembled piece at the end that made me yeah. think, I could do something. I'm not useless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's like tiny stuff like that that like yeah. allows you to, to your point about evidence, yeah. have proof yeah. that you're worth something, have proof that yeah. you can accomplish something. So let me throw in a, a, a follow up question. Because here in North America, and, and I, I mean, I'm a bit of an Anglophile and that I've always loved British culture and British television, but obviously I'm not British, I'm not English. Here in North America, we're dominated by narcissism, right? <laughs> like so much of our culture is about, it's just you go out for number one. You got to just, you know, focus on yourself. And what was missing from your story was your community ethos, right? Because mm. on the one hand, you know, that was a very powerful example of how you were building confidence on a personal level. But where did your collective or communal influence come in? Like what allowed you not just to understand that, hey, this is how I built confidence, but what allowed you to realize, you know what? Everybody should have confidence or at least how do we imbue confidence on other people as a form of community empowerment or community Mm. engagement? Mm. Because tragically, I have to say, not a lot of people figure that out. Like it it is rare that you would have someone like yourself who would, you know, develop that sense of, of, of confidence, of public speaking, of, of, of being proficient on a stage. Mm. Most people then tend to have an insecure follow-up of, Mm. I don't want anyone else to be able to do this. I better make sure no one else can be as good a speaker as I am versus (laughs) you tend to have the opposite. You tend to have the idea of how do I get more people on the stage? How do I imbue more people with the ability to develop this kind of confidence? Yeah. Where did that esprit de corps come from? Yeah, man. Thanks for that question. You know, that was such a reminder to me, it was like a harsh reminder even that my life hasn't been, like the results of my efforts so far hasn't been just because of me. Mm-hmm. And you just really harshly reminded me of that because I literally just caught myself after you've hit me with another question. And this is the beauty of these conversations, like these real-time mirrors, which is like therapy, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know what? I, I, I think how I've been brought up I I was brought up as a Catholic. I'm not practicing at all now anymore, but I was brought up as a Catholic. And my parents would always instill values around family and community. So it's always been there. But then I went through this phase and maybe it's like we all, maybe lots of us go through it, but there was this whole phase of me, me, me. Like I would say that from my chest, that was clearly true for me. Um, Fairly ego led, Um, And what was interesting, what you just reminded me of, is that when when I was in that heartbreak pain era, I was turning to self-development books in order to just 
rewire my whole sense of self and sense of possibility and whatnot. And I was literally doubling down on this stuff to increase those voices in my head. And now looking back, the majority of those books were by American authors. So <laughs> like there's no British person other than Russell Brand right now that is yeah. actually speaking from their core with emotional resonance about going out and changing the fucking world. It's coming from the Americans. So I had to get it from the Americans. So I was a bit of an oddball. Well, like, and, and Russell time. Brand Over is here. riffing off that American identity too. Like he's yeah, very, you know, his class perspective and his, mm. his critique of religion, I think is very much rooted in a British culture. Right. But he is playing an American character on stage. Like yeah, that no doubt. is sort of what he's playing. No doubt, man. It, and do you know that, Although you say like you guys are like like swimming in narcissism over there, it was near enough. Like I needed some of that arrogance. I needed some of that narcissism, not narcissism, in order to like um, take over the negative. Sometimes even British. Oh, don't worry about it. We can't step into our power. We can't be big. We have to. You know, I, it was it was a mixy. It was that mixed up time for me, man. But anyway, um, going back to your question in regard to community, I think I've always been someone that understands that there is actually enough for everyone mm -hmm. like i've never believed that there's only enough for the like I, i'm not sold man and sometimes i can't language it but deep in my soul i just think there is a, there's enough for everyone and i think i've always been quite inclusive i've been quite a social person in my circles where i'm trying to get everyone together to experience joy this focus on joy and connectedness for some reason is just a massive part of who i am and it hasn't gone away and so with the work i do at the moment i'm like okay you've done this well great you've done this well okay how can you share that with everyone else so that we can all move through together because at the end of the day who the hell wants to live by themselves mm -hmm. and just have joy by yourself yeah i think well, it compounds and, when it's experience with other people man and, and i think that's the paradox of narcissism that on the one hand <laughs> it is totally a myth like we as humans have evolved to be social to live mm. socially right like mm. i like to argue there's no such thing as an individual because even as a human being we're comprised of billions of bacteria yeah. that allow us to live <laughs> so there's an inherent social dynamic but you also touched upon the paradox that sometimes there is a need for that confidence, even arrogance, yeah. so that as individuals, we find our self-expression, we find our source of creativity. So let me take all that and, and wrap it up into a completely different direction, as well as empower you to at any yep. point, take a tangent or wherever you wanna go. But let's try to center this in the present as a way of trying to move us to the future. What would an ideal, and by ideal, I mean, it's okay if it's never actually happened. Mm. What is an ideal day for Ruben? Like, if you were to take a moment to kind of construct what to you would be a perfect day in present tense, meaning like it's, you can't imagine stuff you don't have, you can't imagine things that you couldn't do. This is all the practical, but the imagined, the ideal. What is an ideal day for Ruben? Oh, do you know what? I, when you asked me the question, I literally searched on my computer and I've pulled up an article because we've done this as an exercise. I was on a six months peer-to-peer, -peer, adult peer-to-peer -peer learning marathon with some amazing souls. And, one, one, and everyone was designing their workshops. And one of the workshops was that exact question. 
what is an ideal day? And we literally had five minutes to just whack, like kill the sensor and just come up with the ideal day. And I've got it written down. Um, do you mind if I read this out verbatim? Please, this is perfect. Okay. A day in the life of future me, or let's call it an ideal day in the life of future me. 8 a.m., alarm goes off. Fuck that, I turn it off. Sorry, babe, <laughs> back to sleep. Wake up a little later, brush my teeth, have a quick wash, back into bed. She does the same. We play around and laugh about idiocy. We do the damn thing. Do the damn thing means, you know, yeah. enjoy each other's bodies. We yeah. rest. We go again. We bathe together. 11 a.m. We order breakfast at an outdoor cafe. It's warm. We laugh. We have a very deep and honest chat. It sparks new insights and makes me think more about life. Our respect for each other grows. We feel safe. We go back home. We do the damn thing. <laughs> we bathe. We laugh. We both leave for work. 1 p.m. I ride to work on the motorcycle. It's warm and roads are clear. There's hardly any traffic. I take the wide road routes with lots of big term, turns. I'm fully present. I arrive at work and the team are laughing amongst themselves. They start making jokes at my expense and I laugh. I give them a taste of their own medicine. It's a battle of wits for five minutes. I lose horrendously as usual. Someone's, I'm nearly done. Someone says or does something so outrageous and we all have a laugh attack. Then we crack on with idea generation and start making the thing together. Everyone in the group feels valued. There are so many funny quotable moments experienced during the process. We create some really odd but original things that bring a lot of people joy. It's now 6 p.m. It's still warm. My good friends and I meet for dinner at a restaurant with a warm, youthful energy. We laugh a lot. Someone's above the jokes, but they're laughing harder at themselves than the rest of us. 8 p.m. It's showtime. The team greet new people as they turn up to an event. I host it and really enjoy connecting with the audience. There's so much laughter, so much magic we made due to live reactions to things. The team's new ideas really worked and we all make mental notes on how to improve the experience. The whole team are excited about the future and after the show slash event, people approach me or another member of the team and express their gratitude for how our work really helped them when they needed it. 11 p.m., we go home together, reminiscing on the experience. We tease each other and laugh a lot. We get home, take a shower. We light up something and smoke it together. We do the damn thing. We shower, we, we fall asleep and I get back to my book i mean that is the initial day and when i was like reflecting on it i realized how much i had both me time both two people time and then both community but value put into it so i mean if that answers your question i don't know but that's my answer that was fantastic and it's impressive that you had that answer prepared the yeah, quick yeah, follow-up question is how often do you reference that Right. Like, was that yeah. was that an act of creation in the sense yeah. that creating it helped you focus on that? Yeah. yeah. And has it become a reference point? Yeah. OK, so it is kind of a reference point, you know, and I have been taking notes. I've been writing letters to myself for over a decade now. You, you know, like people journal, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I've got little notes in my Evernote for every single emotion and every single like hard time or great time. And, and when I'm feeling it, I write back in it. 
And then sometimes when I've got free time and I'm feeling inspired, I go and reflect on it. And for me, that's constantly giving me data about my inner weather, my inner climate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and, wa- and once I'm able to systematically go through that, I can start seeing the patterns and it comes clear as day, like the things I need to do yeah. in accordance yeah. to what I believe is my higher self. Well, in part, because, you know, the thing that I heard screaming in that story or in that mm. depiction was your body, right? Like your physical body mm. was the through line of that story. And I That's don't mean that in terms of the sex and the showering, but <laughs> I mean that in terms of the motorcycle. Like for me, when I'm on my motorcycle, that's oh, when you I'm... ride as well. I yes. didn't even know. And so that's no. what I'm most meditative. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and I've thought about it in that on the one hand, I have to be paying attention or else I will die. <laughs> yeah. Utter presence. Right. But on the other hand, that frees up my brain in a way that I feel like my body is one with the bike. Yeah. My body and bike are one with my surroundings, right? My situational mm. awareness is so in tune yeah. that I consider my motorcycling meditation. Yeah. And and it is those moments when I'm most centered in my body. Yeah. And so I felt, and, and even at the end of your day, being on stage and communing with the audience, mm. right? The through line of that was you centered in your body and you living your life through your body, which... Is, I, I, I think it's profound because I think that that is what many of us are returning to as a result of the internet. Yeah. Right. Digital technology, the internet, it's allowing us to travel space and time instantly as we're doing now. Mm, right. Mm, Cause you're in yeah. London, I'm in the yeah. Ottawa Valley and yet here we are. And yet that is causing us more and more to come back to our bodies yeah. and think about our bodies and think about how essential our bodies are mm. in terms of the role that they play. So I, I, I don't want to get into the future part, but I want to take a moment in the present to what extent is your physical self central to who you currently are and I'll, fra- I'll let me rephrase that as a question I had already planned to ask, and this seems like a good way to ask it. I started our conversation today by trying to provoke you into thinking of yourself as a futurist. And the reason I did that is because I see in you a community leader. I-, I see in you a natural kind of political leader. And so to what extent do you see yourself as a knowledge professional? And to what extent do you see yourself as an intellectual in the sense that part of what you do for a living is move knowledge, right? Maybe that's knowledge around communicating and speaking. Maybe that's knowledge around facilitating and public speaking, or maybe that's knowledge around what it takes to be confident and what it takes to, you know, allow someone to actualize their potential Mm. and sort of be the person they want to be. So have you ever thought of yourself as a knowledge professional? Do you think of yourself as someone who works with their head? Or do you think of yourself as someone who works with their body? Or is that an arbitrary distinction? (laughs) And I say this because I'm kind of combining two of my agendas. On my one hand, I wanted to sort of get you thinking about yourself as a knowledge professional. But now in response to your kind of ideal day, I hear Ruben saying, I want to be grounded in my body. 
And I really want to feel myself as a human being as rooted in my physical body. How does that correlate to me sort of thinking of you or regarding you as an intellectual? Again, I've thrown like five or six fastballs and curveballs at you in quick succession <laughs> saying, come on, man, take a swing. No, yeah. This is your style, man. All right, I'm catching some of those. Woo. Um, you know what? Your, your questioning is making me really think about my core learnings over the last three years. Like I, I, I went into therapy for the first time in 2017 and it's been an ongoing journey, as you know, since then. And what keeps coming up for me is this idea around duality. It's like I'm neither one thing or the other thing. I am, I, I float in between, but ultimately I am duality, right? And so and I was speaking to my therapist about this, Jesse. I, I do use my rational mind a lot. Like I am, I've, I've, I've got some friends that work in academia, one in particular, and she says, you claim to be an artist and an emotionally led creative person, but I think you're also an intellectual. And I'm like, nah, because in our tribe of artists, we're like, no, they're the enemy. But really it is both things, right? Um, I do... I mean, if I'm looking at, let's say, for example, my Instagram page and some posts I put out, which is, is they're, they're collectively like joined together by this hashtag called shit I've learned, hashtag shit I've learned. Um, and that's literally ideas that I really want to put out. So if we go down. Um, which one of these should I pick? Uh, keep going down. So it's going to be a gray. So all roads. Okay, all roads lead to nowhere, for example, was this, was, these are ideas and feelings that I have that I sit with for a long time. And after a little while, I'll be like, I want to put that out into the world. So I take some time crafting this idea and I put it out. So with that in mind, yeah, maybe um, I'm using my intellect and, and knowledge and yeah, that's a part of me professionally. I don't know, but I would have never said that. Because mm -hmm. I really approach this quite casually. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. And in regard to the body, man, it's 100% that is so true. Like, if I, if I do not feel embodied, I'm totally off, man. Yeah. Like, totally off with whatever work I'm doing. Yeah. And it's interesting. So, uh, the big kind of insight I got out of your, out of your answer there was the the false duality of our our society or the false singularity of our society well i say false du duality All because right, go I i'm going to push you to go further and instead of duality think multiplicity right yeah I right that's absolutely that, right that it's a mistake to think there's only two sides when usually there's yeah. an infinite amount of sides right and 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 what's interesting is on the one hand there's the false cartesian duality of the body and mind Right, that science is increasingly teaching us that the body and the mind are united. And conversely, that also means that reason and emotion are the same thing. All right. That 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 it, it was artificial to suggest that people could be reasonable without emotion. And it's ludicrous to suggest that intelligence arrives without emotion. That art and music have always told us that emotion and creativity are intertwined 
and that intelligence and emotion are intertwined and that we've arbitrarily and mistakenly separated them all. Right. And and maybe that's where your crew is starting to feel that and that you guys are rooted in the creative side, but you're also really starting to break ground when it comes to new ideas and being able to think better. I'll, I'll, I'll be so arrogant as to put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Think better than the academics who continue to try to keep emotion outside of their ivory tower. Right. And right. try to keep subjectivity outside of the, you know, debating of ideas. And that's where I've been trying to push forward into a future that involves all of this, that is yeah. holistic, that that tries to integrate emotion and reason, tries to integrate creativity and ideas, and recognizes that the more inclusive the stage, the more diverse the conversation, the better the outcomes, yeah. the better the ideas, the better the things you come to. Why, why do you think there's like we had this idea that things were separate. Why do you, th and why do you think that people really hold on to that? Even if they have lived evidence that it so, isn't true. My glib intuitive response, the words that came up right when you said that divide and conquer that wow. it's, it's a whole lot easier <clears throat> to contain and control a population. If There's you separate power. them. Right. Mm. And in particular, uh, if, if we bring it back to my original question to you, if we assume that there is intelligent people out there who think for themselves, who are scientists, who are artists, who are theorists, who are all sorts, that if they start talking to each other, they're going to find a better way to live. Yeah, and it's probably yeah. not going to be the way we're currently living right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, 100. And that's a threat to the status quo. Yeah. Right. So that to me is the argument as to why we should be having these conversations is and this comparing what, notes. Is Go this ahead. why you throw the dinner parties? Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You got to get different people together and the dinner parties are about breaking bread to bring it back to the body. Yeah. There, okay. There's an intimacy in food. There's an intimacy in eating. Like, yeah, there's an intentionality know, as well, wasn't there? And a messiness. Like spilling <laughs> yeah. food on yourself, right? And like, yeah. you know, like all of that. Like there's, yeah, yeah. and there's something to being intoxicated, whether it's the food, whether it's the booze, whether it's the weed, you know, yeah. there's, there's something that brings out our humanity. And during the pandemic, I've been wrestling with how do we do that in virtual environments? And that's been partly my experiments with Twitch and Discord. And, and let me bring it back because we are kind of almost running out of time because I do try to keep these, you know, within our attention deficit society constraints. <laughs> but, Which is what now? An hour? Uh, yes, data, max, max hour. Max, but I, max, I sometimes yeah. even try to get it shorter. Mm. But I, I want to talk about where we met in terms of the mm. last year it was not a school. This year it's solved for tomorrow. And I don't mean in terms of the literal project, but I mean... I think there has been a mutual admiration between us because we do share a kind of hope for the future. We do yeah. share this kind of, you know, if we can really leverage the passion and creativity of young people, then holy shit, anything is possible. Yeah. So I, I, a yeah. twofold question. Why do you have like, where is your hope for the future derived? I may have just answered that already. And if you could, if, if, if 
if you could have any any and all the resources, like if you were given a near infinite budget, what would you focus on? What are the things, you know, if, if you could actualize your vision of the future without fiscal constraints, without resource constraints, what would that look like? Like, what do you feel are the ingredients necessary for us to build the kind of future that can, that can excite people, that allows young people to feel that sense of hope and optimism? Big question, wide open, but mm -hmm. feel free to cherry pick what you think are the key catalysts or the key stepping stones that could really allow us to move forward. Yeah, it's a great question. Um... I, I would probably really, in an ideal world, process that for at least two days, <laughs> write out the answers and then dissect what I think the best bits are to give you even an inkling of where I'm going in my mind. But we have about seven minutes, I'm assuming. So uh, I, there's a massive, there's a massive um, interest in helping younger people understand themselves more so like self-knowledge as one of the first um introductions into adulthood um and also a massive focus on emotional literacy because i think once we we get a little bit better at those things we can start seeing our shared humanity clearer and earlier and we can start making decisions based on that as a key focus above everything else. And I think that's where, if I was to try to distill it, that that's where my hope lies. And, and the work and that hope that we become more emotionally literate, more compassionate, more focused on presence over outcome and future. Like those are a couple of the things that drive the work I do and the way I am in the world. Um, I, and, I, and, and I'm but, almost hearing that if I could quickly interrupt. Yeah, please do. Uh, creating more opportunities for intimacy and shared intimacy. Define intimacy. I'm not like I'm leaving it open because I think intimacy is a very subjective concept. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And, okay, and, yeah. and what I heard from you there was the words of a facilitator, right? The, the words of someone who is bringing people together and wants them to feel so comfortable and confident that they don't need clothes. And I say that not in the literal sense, but more in the, the cultural or psychological sense, because yeah. we all wear masks, we yep, all have yep. shields, we all have bullshit that prevents us from connecting with other human beings. Yeah, and yeah. what I heard from you was an a society in which we have more opportunities to do away with all that crap. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. Like, it, I just hope more people can actually get to meet themselves. You know, like that's an odd statement, but I think there's so many people like over the age of 30 in my circles that don't haven't even met their true self mm -hmm. because they've been conditioned to be a certain way that they don't even know. And mm -hmm. that really, really saddens me because we all lose out that way. You know, mm -hmm. like everyone has these unique capacities from wherever they've come from. They're, they're totally unique to that person due to their experience, their socialization, their upbringing, all that kind of stuff. And if they can't own that, it'll be hard to celebrate that and, and, and let us experience it. So that's kind of brought me back full circle to something we talked about in the beginning, which is the narcissism. In that, 
you know, if I compare my conception of North American culture with my conception of British culture, which I'm saying British instead of English because mm. I'm including the diversity of the British Isles as being more than just English, right? That there's huge diasporas in Britain. There are huge international cultures in Britain that make up that culture. But in my view, the key difference is in Britain compared to North America, there's far more expectation in Britain and what you're supposed to come, become. Parents have expectations. Schools have expectations. Employers have expectations. Versus in North America, while there are expectations, there is much more of you make yourself culture, right? Like you can go and invent yourself and be who you want to be. It ain't easy. There's a lot of hostility. There's a lot of prejudice that prevents people from doing it. But it does strike me that in Britain, there is a much more constraints and much more imposition on people on who they're supposed to be and less opportunity for them to explore who they want to be and get to know themselves. Yeah. Am I correct in sort of reading that? I feel that to be correct from my experience. Yeah. And, 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 and I what, wonder why I really I, I can't answer. I was going to even ask you. <laughs> I mean, why the, are we the, like this, man. <laughs> For me, the obvious or easy answer is is monarchy and class, right? That there is literally a, 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 a social system. Like if you go to a certain school, you're going to have access to certain opportunities that if you didn't go to Eton, you just don't have. Correct. And, and to me, that is so blatantly ludicrous and absurd yeah. that but America has the same thing. If you go to Harvard right? You're gonna, it's, it's the same effect. So North Americans like to pretend that we don't have a class society. We mm. do. Mm. It's just not as rigidly Explicit. pronounced. Yeah. So what do you, what are the, again, bring it back to the future. What are the measures that you aspire to that you would like to see that collaboratively we as cultures across the pond could work on to counter this? to make it easier for adults to figure out who they are, to make it easier for young people to not feel the weight of their parents' expectations and instill, and instead explore whoever it is that they want to be. What can we do as facilitators? What can we do as edutainers to help mm. enable that kind of culture? Yeah, I think two things come to mind straight away. Number one is just facilitate more sensitive vertical conversations between generations yeah. so like on, on our podcast what is this behavior which is we, we speak to south asian people across the world that are going against the grain we bring this up a lot like there's so much um confusion and conflict between generations because they don't actually speak they don't mm -hmm. talk about their trauma they don't talk about their their lived experience more of those again will just reveal shared humanity so that's really really helpful and we can work towards the things we all need to work towards and then also i mean i think you and i and a lot of people we know are doing this so i'm proud to be part of the tribe that is doing this but facilitating peer-to-peer -peer learning systems like teaching people how to learn together how to problem solve together how yeah like that like teaching them to be collectively malleable and resilient will be super super helpful for the future i think mm -hmm. yeah and any and also you know what teaching people younger people especially to question everything 
Yeah. Like I think, I mean, it's laborious when yeah. sometimes you just want to bury your head in the sand, you know what I mean? And just stay ignorant. But there comes a time when shit hits the fan and you need to start questioning things. And if we got better at that and owning, owning our decisions, yeah, that could be helpful, I think. So, so we've got uh, on that note in, on the MetaViews discord, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've got our rules, right? Because you're supposed right. to, when you are on Discord and you have a community server, you, as part of the Discord terms of service, you have to list rules. So these are the listed rules on the MetaViews Discord. Rule number one, don't get caught. <laughs> but what does that mean? Well, it means whatever you want, but the number one rule of advice I give to young people is don't get caught. Rule number two, res <laughs> respect each other and yourself. Right? Respect each other and yourself. Yeah. Rule number three, question critically, but constructively. Yeah. Right? Because you got to build. Yeah. Number four, regularly express gratitude somewhere. 100%. Love that one. And then number five, be cool. Oh, be cool. What yeah. is cool here? Are we talking about you blacked out shades cool or just it, it, calm? It's all of the above. These are all subjective, right? <laughs> yeah. People will interpret these rules accordingly. And if they yeah, yeah, yeah. want to defend themselves based on their own subjective interpretation of those rules, right? But it, it strikes me that we're not providing an up-to-date moral framework for young people to navigate our world because they're facing conflicts and they're facing cultural challenges that our existing culture doesn't prepare them for. Mm. And and that's where I think your point about question everything is profound. Mm. And I also think your general advice around emotional literacy and emotional understanding is essential to that. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. I think that's where older generations have kind of failed us, that they haven't provided that. I know in my own case, I had a, a, a crisis in my kind of early 30s where I realized that all the male role models that all the men who were older than me were sexist, that they were wow. misogynist, that yeah, I literally that, had no role models in terms of who to follow. Yeah. And I think there are other examples of that as young people look forward. So to wrap this up, the, the examples you gave when I asked you about the future, they were sort of what you would say to other people. And what was really, I think, generous and courageous of you when you started this conversation is you talked a lot about the journeys and transformation and, and the path that you've been on, right? The kind of process as the purpose. So I was, I loved that when I asked you what your ideal day was, you had already thought of that and you had that kind of in the can. So I'm curious based on your intuition of the future, based on your personal desire for the future, what does Ruben think that Ruben needs for the future, right? And, and like, I'll, I'll go first. In my own sense, the last year, and I've been pretty shitty about this in the pandemic, but I've decided I need French. I could benefit from Spanish. I would love to have Catalan. <laughs> but I, I've just decided I need some languages. Jesse's future depends upon more languages. Is there, is, what in the last couple of years has Ruben decided that Ruben needs for Ruben's future? <laughs> 
based on your own assessment of what that future holds. Ah, oh, man. Oh. Two, can, I say, can I two things? Yeah, you can, can as many as you want. Oh, this, can be, right. this can be a target list of which you assume you'll achieve two out of ten. Like, you know. Right. Uh, I need to cook more regularly because I was spoiled by my mum and now I can't cook. So I need to cook and I need to cook regularly and healthily. I need to constantly escape the bubbles that I'm in. I need to find these glass ceilings and light room and get the fuck out as regularly as I can. Um, <laughs> I need to get, get into my body more. Like not just use my body, but try to get my mind into parts of my body and have conversations with it and understand what it needs. Um, instead of just smashing forward like this capitalistic robot that I have been in a past life. Um, I need to honor my musicality and express it, considering I've been scared to do so for a long time. And I'm leaning into that. Um, and I need to constantly be challenged and have more mirrors put up to me by um, good people like yourself and some of the good friends and family I've got around me. Um, yeah, and I need to constantly stay open, less conclusive and more open. Yeah, there's a couple of things there, man, that I need, mate. <laughs> but, I have a lot of work to do, bro. But the brilliance <laughs> of that answer is you've just laid out some fantastic wisdom for the rest of us in terms of what we could be thinking about. Mm. And, and allow me, because you just set off some fireworks in my brain that connect up to a conversation I had with, I assume, our mutual friend Tamika from BNA, yep, yep. who I'm going to have here on the show in a couple of weeks, because we're going to talk about uh, some of the work she's doing around diasporas and the future of diasporas. But she turned me on uh, to, and I might get the name wrong, the NAP Ministry or the <laughs> Ministry of Naps. And, and it was just how essential sleep is how sleep is central to our sanity, central to our health. And when you were describing your desire to get back into your body, it dawned upon me the connection between our bodies and our relation with time, right? That I think that our relationship with time has been disrupted by digital technology, mm. that it's disrupted our sleep and it's disrupted our body. And what I'm hearing in you, because I share everything you said, I was like, yep, yep, got to do that, got to do that. Okay, I am absolutely following the Ruben plan for my own personal success, in part because I think by getting back into our body, we are harmonizing ourselves with natural time, with the rhythms that our body has, mm. the rhythms that our world has. And maybe that's why I love being on a bike, whether a motorcycle or a bicycle. Because it forces me to get back into the rhythms both of my body and of time. And I kind of feel, to your point about mirrors, that on our own, in our bubbles, we don't make these connections. We don't yeah. get these insights. Yeah. But in having this conversation with you today, in having the conversation I had with Tamika that unfortunately I didn't record... What? these are we reach these epiphanies right we get into these uh, 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 uh higher planes of understanding higher planes of consciousness mm. and to me that is the meta view that is the goal 
of the meta view. So I am once again grateful to you, Ruben, for taking time out of your very busy and inspired schedule to have this conversation. But I have to start with one confession and one request. So the confession was, as our, many of our viewers know, my microphone didn't work for the first five minutes of our conversation. Right. So I only offer this as a confession that we all <laughs> fuck up. And I fucked up here on this podcast. This like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And normally I would have like totally covered it up. The show goes on, but I feel I have to admit Right, Both right. here on the record that I fucked up. And that's why listeners of this podcast are going to hear a slightly different intro than you and I experienced. Okay. How long in did it start to record? It was it, so everything you said was recorded. All right. But what I was saying was not recorded for the first five or 10 minutes. Oh, shit. Yeah. Because, because I haven't streamed in six weeks, my <laughs> microphone. Like I was enabled, but it wasn't installed. It was stupid shit. So that leads me to my request. Even if that didn't happen, even if I had not fucked up, <laughs> I have to ask you to come on again. Because there oh, are man. so many things that I want to talk about based on this conversation. Oh, man, I, w I would absolutely love to. And I was just thinking, like, this is you asking me questions. The amount of questions I have for you <laughs> is ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? We just skimmed the surface. I'm honestly like honored, Jesse. To so yes, let us make this a regular recurrence because I yeah, think there please. is tremendous potential in at the very least us just chatting randomly, let alone what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start having a little list of shit I want to throw at Ruben yeah. that's going to start growing if only because I'm going to keep wanting to tap into your brilliant mind.